The grass is always green around the other side. Caterpillar to a butterfly. It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. So much left to cover in the last hour of Green and Growing. Good morning. Really glad you're with me and also with me this morning. Julie Garrity, owner of Hello Daisy Flower Farm in Canton, and her neighbor, Tracy Gables. I say neighbor because y'all are both in Canton, of Retreat Lane Flowers. So glad to have you ladies uh, growing cut gardens and doing arrangements and things like that. Um, In the last hour, Tracy, we heard from my colleague, Sabrina, Asking about trends, you know, she's putting together arrangements for the golf club or for friends or whatever. Um, what are some of the trends that you're seeing? It's not, you know, it's not just a rose bouquet with baby's breath anymore. People have gotten a lot more creative and funky with what they incorporate into arrangements. They have. I'm fortunate enough that my good friend Shelby works in the bridal industry. She sells wedding dresses, so she can sort of give me trends from her bride so I know what's coming up. Um, a lot of people are the cascading arrangements. Um, fun flowers like amaranth are a little different. Mm-hmm. They There's lots of different ones, but there's some that have these beautiful, almost tassel appearances that they can kind of hang over. Um, they're lovely, and they come in an array of colors. Also, we've noticed that dried arrangements are coming back. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. In the 80s and 90s, I think that was kind of a, a big thing, and it's definitely having a moment now. And, you know, they call it a forever bouquet because mm-hmm. – you can have it, and then you know it'll be good forever. It's already dried, and do they keep their color? They do. most do. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, depending on the variety, like globe am- amaranth grows, mm-hmm. it's very easy to grow and it retains its color beautifully. Straw mm-hmm. flower is another great yes one to grow. That, well, and when yeah. you're mentioning kind of in the 80s and early 90s, I mean, I remember that when we were growing up, and pressed flowers was a thing too. My mom had these kits and wax paper and all of that of you know pressing a pansy. It's all and coming back, keeping it that way. Yes. Isn't that something? <laughs> mm-hmm. And Sabrina asked about um, asymmetrical arrangements, which I can imagine. You know, whatever size your vase is, maybe like as an yeah. arranger going, how am I going to do that? And yeah. it's not going to spill or be lopsided, but. Is that kind of a... It's okay if it does. Mm-hmm. And it gives a little extra interest. And, you know, it, it. sometimes it's hard because some of us are perfectionists. But, you know, you can just kind of go with your gut and let the flowers kind of do what nature wants them to do and end up with something it's, really it's pretty. It's a much better look, you know, carefree, loose. Yeah. Incorporate nature into your arrangements. They don't have to be so buttoned up. I like to use blooming tree branches. Oh. I mean, it just gives a funky feel, and that works really well in an in asymmetrical mm-hmm. And what seems like, yeah. you talked about bridal trends, but what seems to be the trend in, like, architecture and things here lately with builders, people wanting that farmhouse yeah. build yeah. and that look. Can that kind of That's go kind into of trends, part too? Of, part of it, too, and, like, yeah. the, the free form, um, that kind of all leads wild into flower. the farmhouse. Yes, the wildflower look. So it just kind of looks like you just ran through and grabbed a bunch of flowers and they just ended up like this, even though yeah. you're putting a little, a little Very more Very natural effort. looking, like whimsical yes. almost. Yes. Um, well, I'm glad you all reminded me. I had a caller, David from Tucker, in the last hour who was asking about seeds. And I was like, oh, that's so funny. I don't right off the top of my head know the answer to your question. But my guest who y'all were walking in at that moment um, <laughs> could kind of speak to that. So we all start a lot of your things from seed, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you know you know what your germination rate is going to be. You're going to lose a few, but you're doing thousands, I'm sure. Yes. So I think his question was more to putting two right beside one another versus mm-hmm. just spreading them out. And, like, literally you don't have to go do one in each hole. But do you kind of know what he was asking, Tracy? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, a lot of the seeds 
you talked you touched on germination rate and some things are great you're going to have 90% of your seeds germinate other varieties mm-hmm. you might have 60% um, and even if they do germinate it might not grow a strong plant so if you put two seeds in each hole Increases if they do odds. both come up one of them's going to probably be a little bit stronger um, and then you it sometimes it's painful but you can just kind of pluck out the yeah, the weaker yeah. seedling or with some varieties um, like snapdragons and zinnias it's they're pretty hardy, so you could get in there and meticulously separate the roots if you needed to, if you still wanted to have both plants. But it just gives some insurance that you're not going to have an empty hole if that seed is a dud. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you can't help but sow more than one seed, especially with snapdragons, because they are the size of, um, pe- you know, pepper. Yeah, oh gosh, Not a wow. peppercorn, like just yeah, yeah. a dash yeah. of salt. They are just incredibly tiny. And do you all direct sow right into the ground? I mean, that's probably how you start everything. Yeah, Some varieties. Most of what we do, we start from seed indoors. Oh, indoors. Under lights. Yeah. That's wow. Mm -hmm. See, that's a whole operation in and of itself. I mean, you've got the space in the backyard, but my goodness, you have to have the room in the house. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm fortunate enough that uh, we have a basement and in our (laughs) basement, it's, we have an unfinished area that my wonderful husband has transformed into a seed growing room for me. So boys, no basketball, no kickball, no nothing down there. Don't you dare. (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) That is precious space. That's right. 404-872-0750. Want to go to Stephanie in Decatur, who's been very patient. Good morning. Hi, how are you? Great. And you've got a question for Tracy and Julie. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that hydration solution that was first mentioned, is that the sugar and bleach? Yes, you can actually um, purchase something specifically for that. There's a company um, called Crystal. Or, I'm uh, sorry, what's the name of the company? Crystal, C-H-Y, I'm sorry, C-H-Y... R-S-A-L, I believe. Um, if you go to their website, um, they have products specifically for that. Um, there's also Flora Life mm-hmm. is a good one. But so that's something you add to the water. Yeah, if you don't want to work with, you know, doing it yourself. But you can easily DIY it um, just by adding a, a teaspoon of sugar to room temperature water and a drop of bleach, and you're good to go. Oh, okay. Great. Yeah. So that not only will keep the flowers fresh longer, but mm-hmm. it's... Um, it's going to force the stems to hydrate. It um, The bleach is going to keep bacteria at bay, and um, the sugar is the nutrition for the flowers. It feeds them and keeps them happy. And make sure you change your water. Yeah, and yeah. you said like every other day. Every other day. Mm-hmm. Well, good. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for the call. Thank you. All yes. right. Have a good morning. Good question. And uh, one other thing, too. Adding pennies to the water. Does uh, that do anything? Have you heard that? Oh, yes, I have. Yeah, I'm sure it's you've heard it all. It's the funniest thing, isn't it? But it's actually true. Okay. Um, not all pennies, though. The year that your penny was minted matters. Um, pennies, Copper or not. Yes, actually. I know. Who knew? Yeah. But if they were minted before 1982, um, I think they have 95% copper. Copper is a fungicide. Oh, true. So it naturally keeps bacteria at bay, and it's just really good for tulips especially. Um, but anything after 1982 is mostly made of zinc. Who knew? Yeah. And it just has a very thin copper coating. So it's not going to do much. So if you just go to the coin drawer and you pick a penny out, you know, make sure it's... Before 1982. Before 1982. <laughs> okay. That's good to know. Yeah. And I think we have a little more from our friend Sabrina. I had a question, Julie, about heights of flowers compared to your vase. Does it depend on the size of the vase and how tall your arrangement should be? So I love tulips, but they always droop. Droopy tulips are not pretty. So, <laughs> how do you get so your tulips true. not to droop? So or is it true. possible? Yeah. Yeah. 
it, it is possible, but it, uh, yeah, they're a little high maintenance. Um, sometimes it's easier just to give in and let them do what, what they want to do. But the way to get the straighter stems on tulips is to um, wrap them in newspaper, and then you want to stick them as upright as possible in your vase. Um, stick them in the refrigerator, let them sit that way for 12 to 24 hours. Only wrap the stem, nope, or actually the, the whole flower, flower with newspaper, yep. okay. Mm-hmm. And roll it kind of not super tight. You don't want to squish them, but tight enough that there's not a lot of movement and okay. they are as upright as possible. And that usually does the trick to keep them upright. Refrigerate yeah. for how long? Uh, 12 to 24 hours. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And they're dry yeah. when you do that, not not in a vase of water. Well, just... they can be. They can be, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. But when you harvest them, Tracy, and when I harvest them, we harvest them with a bulb on so they are dry. So mm-hmm. she is right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because, you know, we store them in the fridge and they don't have to be in water if the bulb is still attached. And two, if they start mm-hmm. to droop, I would think, you know, this this goes to a whole nother level of arranging flowers. But I was recently at a vineyard a couple of weeks ago and had a fun little ladies night out and we got to arrange our own you know, so do our fun. own arrangements. Yeah. And she had gotten all the flowers from a wholesaler and, you know, talking about like what your greenery is and your base and then more of like your your thrillers, your focal points yeah. in the middle, like a rose or a hydrangea or something big. But could you not just kind of carefully place the tulips, the tulips such that like they're kind of propped up by some other things? You certainly can. Um, but that's kind of hiding the problem. It but. Hide, yeah. And sometimes the weight of the tulip, because some of the tulip, the newer specialty varieties that Tracy and I grow, They have massive, I mean, it's not the little delicate tulips you get, you know, in the grocery store. Um, They're the parrot tulips or the double fringed Mm -hmm. tulips, and they look like peonies. They Mm -hmm. look like, I mean, they're huge and they're very heavy. The heads are heavy, so it weighs them down. So, yeah, you you can do that. You can prop them, but it doesn't always stay that way. And we talked about dahlias, Tracy. You Mm -hmm. grow dahlias and how important when they're growing, probably best to stake those up. Absolutely. I have a large setup going on with netting and um, but if you have fewer if you just take you can even use a tomato cage if mm-hmm. you want um, or a bamboo stake and kind of tie it as it grows but they easily get to be four to five feet or even taller depending on the variety and the sunlight situation yeah. and I would think the head is so heavy the large ones yeah yes a dinner plate dahlia that's 12 <laughs> inches yeah I would imagine that's pretty heavy very all right heavy. we will uh, take some more calls perhaps and speak to Sabrina's questions about height oh And, you know, incorporating that into the vase and considering the size of your vase and all of that. When we return, you're listening to Green and Growing on WSB. It's Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on 95.5 WSB. The news, weather, and traffic team will be here first thing Monday morning to help you get back to work on time and inform. Now back to Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca on 95.5 WSB, Atlanta's News and Talk. All right. Update on the weekend weather. I kind of forgot to give you the forecast in that last 30 minutes or so. So here it is. It's pretty easy. There is a chance for thunderstorms, perhaps, or isolated showers today, about 30% chance. But highs in the low to mid 80s. And then tomorrow, partly cloudy skies, still looking at highs around the low 80s and lows in, in the 60s. So it's actually going to be pretty pleasant. Uh, Running out of time for phone calls, Francis and Paula, I hope you email me or find me on the Facebook page. Just search Green and Growing WSB with my guests, Tracy Gables of Retreat Lane Flowers and Julie Garrity, owner of Hello Daisy Flower Farm in Canton. And just some parting uh, thoughts from you ladies. Tracy, I'll start with you. What is a good flower for beginners to grow? I would say zinnias would be a great starter. And there's so many colors, varieties. They're pretty easy. 
Um, they grow large. They are an annual, so you'll have to start new seeds each season. But zinnias are definitely a great place to start. And what's cool, when they start to dry up, you can pluck the petals off of them and the seeds mm-hmm. are at the base of the petals. And I always like dry them in an envelope and have them for next year. Yes, it's amazing. And just, you know, the if you get a seed from a pink flower, that doesn't mean that you're going to get a pink flower next year. It depends on what the bees have pollinated it with. That's really exciting. And yes, good for pollinators. Very good to have maybe near your vegetable gardens. Um, how can folks find you online? Are you pretty active on social media? I'm, I mean, like you said, during the pandemic, people want to see pictures of flowers. They want yes. to see what you're growing. Yes, I'm on Instagram at Retreat Lane Flowers. Um, I post pictures of whatever's going on in, um, in my garden. Julie and I also have um, a flower subscription. Yes. We call it Front Porch Flowers. Yes. Um, so we post updates on that. And then we're going to be doing some um, bouquet bars and other fun things throughout the summer. That um, is something good for the yes. girlfriends to get together. Yes. Is there wine? Yes, Absolutely. of course. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. That sounds awful. I would come even if there wasn't. But that sounds lovely. Um, so Julie Garrity from you, you have off the air and on the air shared so many like hacks and tips and tricks. And I know you've got more. So what's another one that you didn't have time for? Oh, goodness. There are so many, but I think this might be helpful to, you know, people that just want to go into their yard and and cut. And I think that is use what you have. If you're looking for something to spruce up your arrangements, run out and look at your bushes. Mm -hmm. Um, Spirea, your hydrangea leaves. Um, There's so much great foliage just right in our backyards that were great in vases. Yeah. And they're fun and funky. We were at Tracy's the other night mm-hmm. and Tracy and I were looking for some stuff and I went, oh my goodness, you have spirea. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, you know, I don't like spirea. And I, I cut it Spruce and I showed it her the arrangements and it just brought a whole different level. So they work great as landscape bushes, but they also <laughs> work really well. In, um, and not all bushes, but most of them are pretty hardy. They're called woodies. So. And one of the ones that I like, Kaleidoscope Abelia, is very colorful. Oh, I love Abelia. Yep, so that's going to be really good, too. Absolutely. Abelia is a great one. And it's sad. Irises are starting to fade. That's one of my favorite spring yeah. flowers. But like you said, always be on the lookout because yes. there's going to be something. Hydrangeas really soon. Um, how do folks catch up with you on social media? Okay. Well, I'm on Instagram and Facebook, and I also have um, a, a webpage. So I'm HelloDaisyFlowerFarm.com. Um, on Instagram, I believe I'm HelloDaisy underscore Flower Farm. Um, and on Facebook, I think I'm just Hello Daisy Flower. Farm. I think so. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, you'll find me, hopefully. If you don't, I'm sure you can point folks in the right direction. I certainly will. Yeah. I will share. We just took a, a thousand photos in the studio yes. trying not to get photobombed by Dave Baker, <laughs> who is already in place, ready for the Home Fix It show at nine o'clock. And you ladies will be back. I think this is such a successful topic, Thank really you. engaging topic. And I think we'll have a lot to talk about throughout the summer as we discover more and more flowers. So thank, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. It was it a was lot so of fun. fun. Oh, yes. so glad. Now, in keeping with the trends of growing flowers and attracting pollinators to your garden, when we return, I'll have Pike Nursery's long plant ideas, recommendations, and suggestions to attract pollinators. A lot of the flowers these ladies talked about are in that grouping for sure. And then before the end of the show, we will have time to get to the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend. So, of course, I want you to stay tuned. And if you miss any portions of the show, go to wsbradio.com slash green and growing for the on-demand portion or download it as a podcast in your favorite podcast app. We'll be back. It's WSB. Green and 
Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. A half hour left to go on Green and Growing. Really glad you've spent the Saturday morning with us. And I am so thankful to have had Julie Garrity from the Hello Daisy Flower Farm along. Hopefully you learned a thing or two. Uh, Flower arranging is not a topic that I have covered yet on the show, and I was really excited to do so. So my thanks to Julie. And with the topic coming up that we're getting ready to discuss with Pike Nursery, pollinators and plants for pollinators, I did want to give a shout-out to the Bee Cause Project. Uh, Thebeecause.org is the website there. Their mission is to inspire the next generation of environmental stewards and protecting the planet's pollinators, which is so important. You'll hear more about that in just a minute. But uh, in honor of Earth Day, they recently sent out 300 pollinator kits to schools nationwide. I received one excited to get that because it's got some educational material in it, some wildflower seeds and seeds to be planted for these plants. They're going to attract pollinators. And it's just so important to keep that in, in mind, be inspired with the mission and the work that they do. And later on this summer, I would love to talk to Becky Griffin about attracting pollinators and things to do in the heat of the summer, why it's still so important. But right now with me, as I mentioned, Pike Nursery Coming up, Jackson Grimsley, assistant manager of the Lindbergh location, and we're going to be talking about those little guys. Good morning, Jackson. Hey, Ashley. How are you doing today? Very good, and I'm glad we're covering this topic. I want you to start off, though. I mean, you're in a nursery. You're around flowers all day. Y'all get birds in and out of the greenhouses and insects, I'm sure, but really stress the importance to listeners of the pollinators. Absolutely. Pollinators are 100% necessary for Anything involving plants, um, you know, they are responsible for, you know, the, a huge part of the reproductive cycle for all plants. So that means, you know, anything that's fruit producing, anything, that, you know, vegetable producing, flowers, all of, all of the green and lovely things that we love, we absolutely need pollinators for. So it's one of the most important, important parts of our ecosystem. Yeah, I can imagine that over the course of the summer, you know, we'll get calls to the show here. My pepper plants or tomato plants had flowers, and then the flowers dropped off and nothing happened, or I didn't get a big yield or a big crop. And that's probably going to be due to a large part of not having enough pollinators around and just creating that habitat space for them and for their survival. Also, remembering to plant flowers next to your vegetable garden, right? Not only does it look nice, but it's practical, too. Absolutely. Um, you know, there's all kinds of flowers that will help in your, uh, you know, production. And there's going to be, you know, flowers that attract specific uh, specific insects as well. And, you know, uh, certain insects are going to help with pollinating certain things. So um, it's in, like you mentioned, it's it's a topic that not a lot of people know about, but it's something that can really, really help your yield with your vegetables and fruits. And it'll just help your you know, flowers, you know, continue to bloom throughout the summer and look great all, all summer. Yeah. I mean, some of my favorite are salvia and having zinnias and marigolds. People commonly think of marigolds near the vegetable garden. But let's go ahead and start with the host plants. And the host plant is going to be, you know, a plant specific to attracting, like you said, a certain type of insect. What do we have there? So, you know, butterflies are mostly what you're going to be getting on the host plants, so on the host plants, because that's where they're going to lay their eggs where they'll hatch is where the caterpillars will eat those those host plants and then create their cocoon their chrysalis before you know hatching out as butterflies um so they're really really important for that there's a few different ones that are great for butterflies uh dill parsley and fennel um you know from the from the herb families um those are great plants to have 
for butterflies, and they're also great to just have, you know, in your herb garden. <laughs> right. you can use them in your cooking. Absolutely. And then um, milkweed or butterfly weed is one of the best, um, and it's a great showy plant. It's got really pretty orange and yellow flowers um, and gets some, some good height. does really well in kind of boggy areas, too. So if you have an area that's, you know, holding some water, it's great for that. Um, but butterflies and caterpillars absolutely love it, and they will come and lay their eggs there. And so you'll get, you know, it's just a great thing for butterflies, absolutely. And I tell you, if you have pets, too, there is nothing cuter than your cat or your dog romping around in the backyard. And you're fortunate enough to see a butterfly land on their nose or land on their head. That is the cutest thing. I saw Shadow. That happened to her last year in Jackson. It was, I mean, I couldn't get the phone out fast enough to take a picture. But, I mean, just that's something we definitely want in our landscape. We want to attract butterflies. And, two, with nectar-rich plants, thinking about not only protecting or uh, attracting the pollinators, but hummingbirds, too. And when you when you say nectar-rich plants, these are going to be the plants uh, that usually have you know cone or trumpet-shaped flowers, almost like a you know a fluted flower. Um, and you know if you picture a hummingbird, they have that long, narrow beak. It's just perfectly designed to reach down into that flower and get the nectar out of there. Um, you know, so like you said, it's great for butterflies, great for hummingbirds, um, and there's tons of options in this family. Um, you've got lantana, salvia, daylilies. Uh, pentas, butterfly bush, if you're looking for something a little bit more permanent. Um, you know, if you're looking for a shrub, butterfly bushes are a great option there. Um, and then, you know, some of your tropical options like Mandevilla and Diplodenia um, are great, you know, vines that, you know, really, you know, have really pretty red flower, red and yellow flowers and are just great for butterflies and for hummingbirds. And this past week, I posted on the Facebook page some ideas for flowering vines that would be good for, like, a mailbox or some small area. But thinking about vines, trumpet vine we want to stay away from. That does attract butterflies and hummingbirds, but it's considered invasive. It gets out of control really quickly. But, Jackson, you talking about attracting hummingbirds. Um, One that I thought of is firecracker plant that's got really thin, beautiful red flowers. It only grows maybe three by five, so it doesn't get out of control, likes full sun. That's a good idea for hummingbirds as well. So next are pollen-rich plants, and I guess that just means like they're full of pollen, which is a good thing, and they're going to be visited quite often, no? Absolutely, and so this is really what you want for, you know, I'd say the most common pollinator people think of are bees, and these are going to be the plants that are great for bees. They're also great for ladybugs. Uh, bats actually are really, uh, really helpful pollinators. Most people don't think of them when they, you know, are talking about pollinators, but bats are, are great options there. Um, and so there's tons, again, tons of uh, options here. You're looking for something with a wider flower, something that gives, you know, a good amount of surface area for the insect to land on. Um, cause these aren't going to be, you know, insects that hover as much. They're actually going to land on the flower and kind of dig around in it. Um, so, you know, some of your plants, coneflower, uh, echinacea is a great option. Rudbeckia, uh, helianthus, your sunflowers are a great option. Verbena, um, yarrow. So again, there's tons of annuals and perennials that'll give you really, really nice options for this and really, you know, help encourage those bees to get back in the landscape. Um, and again, you know, those, their bees are probably, I'd say one of your most effective pollinators, um, just because of how much they will travel around in a yard. And it will just really, really help your, your yield with your vegetables and, again, just help with your blooming and, your, and all your landscape. 
And there are definitely different varieties of bees, which we're going to get into later this summer with Becky Griffin. But, you know, they their bodies are designed with a little pollen pockets, you know, on their back legs. And that's how they transfer pollen so well. But even something like a carpenter bee or a yellow jacket, you don't necessarily think of them as pollinators. But there's got to be ways that even just a dash or two of pollen gets on those guys and they're still able to spread it, wouldn't you think? Absolutely. You know, they, they have those really fine hairs on their body and the pollen just sticks to that. Um, so, you know, it's it's not even intentional for them, but they just, you know, help perpetuate our ecosystem just by just by being. Yep, that's perfect. And now a question for you, Jackson. I'm talking to Jackson Grimsley, assistant manager of the Lindbergh location at Pike Nursery about pollinator plants. Uh, does color matter? I mean, you know, all the plants you've talked about, all the flowers you've mentioned come in every color of the rainbow, but does that attract certain things over others? Absolutely. So your color is going to matter. Um, so butterflies tend to like yellow, orange, and red. That's why when I was talking about, you know, your, your butterfly weed um, or your milkweed, they tend to have orange, orange and yellow and red flowers. That's why it's so great for attracting them. Um, your hummingbirds tend to like reds and purples. That's, you know, a lot of times when you see hummingbird nectar, it's going to be, you know, colored red for that reason. It's, it always attracts them. Uh, bees tend to like purples and blues. Hmm. So they like a little bit darker colors, um, but that's, you know, like something like a purple cone flower is, is a great option for them. Uh, it's really going to help attract them. Yeah, purple cone flower, black and blue salvia is a favorite, of course. That's interesting that they see the deeper colors. Huh, didn't know that. Well, so up next, we have a free class at all Pike Nursery locations next Saturday, and we want folks to get a jump on that seven days from now. What is it? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a class to help our, all our customers learn how to create a pollinator-friendly garden. So just what we were just talking about. So we'll have, you know, examples of all these kinds of plants and, you know, tell you, you know, what kind of mixes you can do, like you were talking about earlier, mix, you know, certain vegetables with certain plant, uh, certain flowering plants to help the pollination. Um, and so, yeah, that's going to be next Saturday, uh, the 21st at 1030, and that's going to be in all of our locations. Um, and you can sign up for that class. We ask, we, you know, we uh, definitely would like everybody to sign up ahead of time uh, at pikenursery.com. Uh, and there's a tab under there for classes. Um, so, yeah, we'd love everybody to come out. Um, you know, the classes are always a lot of fun. Uh, and this is a fun one for the kids, too. You know, um, your kids always get really excited when you're looking at when you're looking at insects. So um, it's, it's a really fun class for the kids. That's going to be amazing. At all stores, some of the Pike classes offered, you know, are only at select locations, but this is one that's going to be at all 15 locations beginning at 1030 next Saturday. So, yeah, Jackson, as you mentioned, encouraging folks to pre-register. Very easy because it's free. You just go to pikenursery.com, sign up there, and let them know you plan to come. Well, I appreciate your time this morning. Get back out to that beautiful greenhouse and find some pollinators, Jackson. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. All right. Talk to you soon. When we come back, the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend and some final thoughts. You're listening to Green and Growing on 95.5 WSB. It's Scott Slate. Did you know you can listen to Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca on Saturday mornings on your smart speaker? And me too, weekday mornings. Just tell your smart speaker, play 95.5 WSB, and we're on. 95.5 WSB, Atlanta's news and talk. Here's Ashley. This is WSB meteorologist Christina Edwards. Partly cloudy with a high of 83 degrees for today. A 20% chance of an isolated shower or thunderstorm through the afternoon and evening hours. Sunday morning low 65. Sunday afternoon partly cloudy, heating up to a high of 86. An isolated chance of a shower or thunderstorm, chance of rain 20%. Monday partly cloudy, high 87, chance of rain 20%. 
And the update on the weekend weather brought to you by Finley Roofing. As usual, such a fun show. You know, I'm going to try to get home later on today and put it up as a podcast. Commercial free. I think you just have to listen to one commercial at the very beginning, but all three hours will be separated out. Listen back at your leisure, wsbradio.com slash green and growing, or you can find it on Spotify, Google Play, and the Apple iTunes store as well for free. Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. Have fun with it. Try not to get out in the hottest part of the day, of course. But number one, now is a good time to trim suckers away from the base of your crepe myrtles. They're leafing out beautifully, not flowering yet. But those suckers are going to get out of control if you don't stay on top of them. So prune them away. It's just going to give energy back to the plant. Number two, plant tropical vines at your mailbox. And some of you may have seen a Facebook post of mine just a couple of days ago Four flowering vines that are commonly found around mailboxes, maybe up against a fence. Just something to add some visual interest if you want some height. Bougainvillea, that's often seen covering walls in Florida and Hawaii. That tropical vine loves lots of sun. Now, it's not going to be perennial here in Georgia, but it's beautiful while it lasts. Number two, morning glory. That can be easily grown from seed, and it germinates so well that it's often mentioned as invasive, but just keep it under control at the mailbox. Number three, mandevilla. That withstands full sun to partial shade. Flowers from early summer through the fall. You you get a lot of that. Pretty common here in Georgia. And number four, clematis. Varieties suited for Georgia. They run in almost every color. It's perennial, and its flowers are enjoyed now through September Available at Pike Nurseries. Okay, so that's number two on the to-do list. And number three, prune early flowering azaleas. A lot of you year-round asked, when do I when do I prune my azaleas? Well, now's the time because they've finished blooming, right? So first off, start with removing the tall sprouts. Go all the way down to the base inside the shrub. Remove those. And just start cutting away where the flowers have expired. If you need to do any shaping, feel free to do some of that as well. When you really need to take down a big, big azalea that's gotten out of control, I would say late winter is the best time to do that, but you're going to lose the spring blooms. So everything you prune now, totally safe, because it still gives the bush an opportunity to set new buds in a few months that it's going to hang on to all year long until it blooms again next spring. And also cut leafless limbs from shade trees. I was mowing underneath a Japanese maple, and there's a lot of limbs coming out of that thing that don't have leaves. They don't have leaves by now. They're not going to, so the limb's not doing the tree any good. And just a bonus, because we have time, uh, stake up tomato plants if necessary and put cages around them before they get too full and too big to manage. I recommend the tall cylindrical cages rather than the cone shape just because... They're better for height, I think. Uh, Train your cucumber plants to climb if you have some extra wire. This promotes good airflow in the cucumbers, keeps them off the ground, which should also slow down your problems with pests. All right, had a great time being with you this Saturday. I'm off to another adventure. You'll hear all about it when I return next Saturday. Have a great weekend, and I'll be checking in with you throughout the week on the Green and Growing WSB Facebook page. Bye.